Tuesdays with Trisha, Season 3, Episode 1. Roses are red and violets are blue. Grab a shot of tequila because I have a true crime story for you. The Delphi case. Well, hello, friends. It's me, Trisha. I win. Nobody loses. Just kidding. That was really lame. I don't even know if I'm going to put this as the beginning of my podcast. How embarrassing. But hi, welcome back. I'm so excited to be podcasting again. I feel like it's been forever and I'm like the world's biggest procrastinator, but really that's not it. I've just had a lot of things going on. So I'm really glad that I am able to finally sit down and dive back in and be with my podcast family to talk about what I love most is true crime. Um, this season with Tuesdays with Trisha, because I'm really resurrecting it from the grave because I ended this whole thing and thought I was going to revamp this whole new podcast. And that definitely didn't happen. I decided to come back to Tuesdays with Trisha. It just felt comfortable. It felt right. So this season, though, I really want to talk about other things, um, just kind of like what's going on in my life, um, what I do on a daily basis too. maybe unload my week on you guys. Well, technically, we're at Tuesday, so I just ended Monday. So there's definitely going to be a lot of bitching happening from me because Mondays suck if anybody is still in the working world, which I'm sure a lot of you are. Unless you're cool and retired and I'm super jealous that you've worked really hard in all your life and you're retired. <laughs> I'm getting there day by day. So <clears throat> I don't know what everybody's been up to. I would love to hear from my fellow fans. So reach out to me on Instagram because I want to know how everybody's been. But just to kind of speed everybody up in my life, um, I know last time I left on Tuesdays with Trisha, y'all knew that I was engaged and living in Texas. And if you listen to my cousin's podcast, which is Hair Raising Horror, not whore, horror, <laughs> uh, then you'll know that that's kind of like where I'm at now. And I work full time. I'm a medical assistant that works for a dermatologist and I work for like a big company. So uh, there's a lot of entities to it, but my core group of people are awesome. So shout out to Vitology Skincare. Um, so you guys will <laughs> hear me talk about work. I don't use names. I should probably cut this out, actually. Now that I think about it, I'm sitting here being like, hmm, should I drop my work's name in here? Just kidding. <laughs> I'm totally joking. Um, but yes, you guys will definitely hear me talk about medical stuff. Uh, something I never touched on before, too, is things that I drink while I do this podcasting. It's actually every time I podcast, I have a routine that I kind of get into. 
I'm currently still recording in my humble abode, not in some cool studio. And a lot of my old podcast equipment is still in California. So having to make do, but I at least have my own room to be able to podcast in now. So that's fun. Of course, we're always going to touch on the true crime, but I'm just really, 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 really excited to be back. I'm excited for you guys to listen to my basic ass talk about true crime because, boy, we got some shit to catch up on. And, yeah, welcome to the shit show. So, y'all. Before we dive into the true crime story that I'm going to focus on for this Tuesday evening, um, I want to first say, uh, I want to give a big shout out to my cousins, uh, Zelina and April, with their podcast, Hair Raising Horror. They are wonderful and have been great. They have reached over a thousand followers on Instagram, and I just want to say how proud I am of you girls And thank you so much for always thinking of me and having me on your show. So a huge shout out to that. Secondly, does anybody know about Lalo Tequila? It's like my new favorite obsession. And I have a glass of little Lalo sitting next to me. And I'm sipping it because it's Tuesday and I have to work tomorrow. (laughs) So small little shot. Uh, But this tequila is smooth and delicious. And from what I am told, it is only brewed here in Austin, Texas. It is also, I think, Don Julio's great-grandson. And I really should have researched this before. Or like son, Don Julio's son, I think. I should have researched it before I dropped this. But I'm pretty sure that's what it was. At least that's what the bartender told me when me and my fiance actually tried this tequila for the first time. But it's delicious and smooth. And I love it a lot. And my other cousin, Nicole, reached out to me and had my cousin Romolo pick a bottle up because um, they she saw it. And she's, I think, a fellow... Um, alcoholic lover like I am. I'm not an alcoholic, okay? (laughs) I just like alcohol a lot. They talk about it a lot. But if you haven't tried the Lalo tequila, it is delicious. So if you are ever out here in Austin, Texas, I suggest it is something that you try. So cheers. And it's kind of bittersweet that I'm talking about tequila in this episode right now because my my one of my thoughts for a new um show was going to be tequila and a shot of true crime because i love my tequila i love to drink in general so i kind of wanted to like pair it pair my podcasting and i'm sad because zelina made me the most awesomest intro that i can't use but i'm probably going to drop it at the end of this episode because it was just so cool that I feel like I should use it somewhere, at least. So love you, Zelina. Thank you for that. Uh, (laughs) um, But the other thing that I am drinking while I am sitting here podcasting and talking to you and deep diving into murder is water. (laughs) Water's good. 
And if anybody knows me too, you know my obsession with water and how I don't drink the um, reverse osmosis water. I am a natural all spring girl, so I don't drink the purified crap. And it's super weird of me to say, but if any of you watched that Zac Efron shit on Netflix where he like went around and did it's like 10 episodes or something and he went around and the first episode was on water and I learned all about like water and all the different minerals that are put into it and it, it's just basically said that natural spring water is the best for you so I started that whole kick and I don't let anybody in the house buy anything but that but I'm actually drinking purified water right now because we ran out of water. So I had to go up to the store and that was all they had. So I'll survive. So I'm sure you guys are done hearing me just babble on. I'm just super excited to be here. Um, and I wish I could say that I'm like excited to talk about what we're talking about because I have wanted to cover this case ever since it came out. Um, this is an unsolved current active case that we're going to be talking about, and it is about children. So please be pre-warned before we dive in, um, but it is definitely some a case I have wanted to cover. And like I said, it is active and unsolved right now. So perk them ears up and pay attention because we're going to dive into a true crime story. I'll be right back. So I want to take everyone today to Delphi, Indiana. So I've never obviously been to Delphi, Indiana, but from what I gather, it's pretty much described as like a small, quaint, quiet town. It lies just outside of Lafayette, Indiana, and that Lafayette is like a couple hours outside of Indianapolis. So, uh, when I was that, basically when I was trying to figure out where it was on the map, I could see that it was just outside of Indianapolis. So our case today in particular, will focus on three days. It's a Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. And this happens to be February 12th, 13th, and 14th of 2017. So it's recent, y'all. Um, and if you know this, we are in the month of February right now. This case just passed. So I don't know about my listeners, but do y'all know what snow days are? Because I sure didn't. I'm from California. We don't have snow days <laughs> ever. <laughs> so I had to kind of like be like, okay, what the heck's a snow day, guys? So when you live in a place that actually has all four seasons, uh, for the United States, it would probably be like mainly everywhere except California, Florida, and now freaking Texas, even though Texas has gotten snow we just, we don't keep it like the other states do, but the other states are smart and they prepare for the worst in weather. So basically if you miss a day of school because they have to close it because of snow day, because of bad weather, they already put snow days into the school year. So if for some reason that they anticipate you're losing some days, they'll throw some extra days in February to make it up or 
February, I'm sure January, February, March, April to kind of make it up for for the winter season. But if you, but if you, the weather's good, then you actually get that extra built-in day off. So this would actually explain why Abigail Abby Williams spent the night on Sunday night at her best friend's house, Liberty Libby German, on Sunday, February 12th. The girls actually had their built-in snow day off. So it was said that the girls spent the night goofing around. They were eating pizza and they were actually hanging out with Libby's older sister, Kelsey. And then they went to bed and in the morning when they woke up, uh, the girls asked Kelsey before she went to work, hey, can you drop us off? We want to go to this place called the Monin High Bridge. So they could basically go for a hike and hang around. So, well, not really much hiking because it's Indiana and Indiana's flat. <laughs> but I'm also reading that this particular day in February was actually something pretty unusually warm for Indiana. It was something like 50 degrees. And for me, that's still cold. But if you are used to dealing with 30 degree weather for day in, day out, I'm sure 50 degrees will seem pretty nice. So this is why the girls probably thought to say, hey, let's go out for the day. So the Monon High Bridge is actually located by a giant creek. And this creek is called Deer Creek. And the, from the pictures online, the bridge itself is surrounded by like beautiful trees. It's got like flat trails that go through it. Just as like sweet taste of nature, very serene and obviously very quiet. The pictures online really are beautiful. But like the bridge itself is really, is really high up, you know, it's quite, I would say probably like 20 feet up. So pretty intimidating. Um, it looks a bit rickety, but I'm pretty sure it was safe enough for everybody to walk on or else they wouldn't have it open to the public. But I would say pretty intimidating for two young girls possibly walking the bridge for the first time. Now, we do know that it wasn't Libby's first time walking across this bridge, it, but it was her friend Abby's first time. So I wanted to pause in the story here for a sec, and I wanted to switch gears and just kind of give you guys a brief overview of these two little girls. So Libby German was actually 14 years old at this time. She lived with her grandparents and her sister, Kelsey. Uh, her mother actually lived out of the home in another state and her father was around, but looks like he wasn't the primary caretaker for the girls. But it looks like still very much involved in his daughter's lives from what I gather when I read the articles. So she uh, said that she was in the middle school band and she played saxophone along with her BFF, Abby. She enjoyed swimming, volleyball, soccer, and softball, painting, and going on vacations. Good girl. Who wouldn't, wouldn't like going on vacations? <laughs> Abby Williams was 13 years old at this time. She lived with her mother and her grandparents that lived in Delphi. She was in the middle school bands, like we just mentioned above, and was also on the volleyball team. She was an avid reader, 
which I loved reading that about her because I love to read and was also really involved with her church. So, you know, obviously these two young girls are just described as beautiful and bright and funny and loving souls and their family just looked at them as their future. You know, you look at your kids and you just see the future in them. You know that they're the ones to carry on. And this day at the Monon High Bridge was just supposed to be another day off for them. So the next thing that we know in this case is that around 1.35 p.m. that day, Abby and Libby were dropped off at the Monon High Bridge entrance. And this is actually, I've read a couple of things on this. It says that it was like more of a remote entrance than like the main entrance, I guess. Um, but a lot of hikers and or people that were coming to visit would still take this entrance. So it's not unusual that Kelsey decides to drop them off in this area because there's still plenty of people coming in and out of the trail. And she, the, her sister, Libby's sister, Kelsey recalls, I remember reading in one of the articles that said that she definitely watched the girls as they walked down into the trail. And then obviously there's a part of the trail where you can no longer see the people. So she watched them until they walked. So she knew that they got in there safe. So really from here on out, we really don't know what happened, what the girls like did, if they talked to anybody, if they saw anybody. The only really concrete evidence that police has going forward uh, is the help actually from social media. So this would be the app Snapchat in particular. So at 2.07 p.m. that day, Libby snapped a photo of Abby at the start of the bridge and actually posted it to Snapchat. So you, we have a photo of Abby on the Monon High Bridge. So we know that she was attempting to walk across it or had already walked across it. And this is also later verified by friends of the girls who actually viewed it on Libby's Snapchat story. Now, I don't know if everybody that's listening is familiar with Snapchat or how it works. So let me just catch you up to speed really quickly on the social media thing. So in Snapchat stories, the photo is available for 24 hours for viewing. So this is a story. You snap a photo, you snap a video, and you post it to Snapchat. And anybody who is your friend, if your thing is private, I believe, um, can view your story. So much like Facebook and Instagram, if you're familiar with those. But the main difference in Snapchat with the other social media sites is that when you send photos or you talk in this app, which is normally direct messages to somebody, your conversations and your photos are not saved. So you view the conversation or you view the photo. And then if you click out of the app, and you go back into it, you're not going to be able to see what the person had replied or what they had said, or, you know, so if you've already viewed it once and then you're kind of like, oh shoot, I didn't see what it was. You can't go back and view it. Now I know there's some stuff you can play around with Snapchat because I've done some recon work on Snapchat before. And I know that sometimes conversations save, sometimes pictures do save if you like there's a couple of features that you can do in order to find these things in Snapchat. So um, 
so it was kind of cool that, you know, Libby did post this picture because there is a timestamp there for everybody to know. But I would say, you know, that's not even the most significant thing about the photo. The most significant thing about that photo is that Abby and Libby are alone from what it looks like. They, it's just a picture of Abby and, but you don't see any shadows or anything of anybody standing behind them. Um, I don't even know if that feature would show up in the angle of the photo that she took. I'm just kind of trying to think, you know, of different things. But what we know is that they were alone. And that was at 2.07. Okay. So then the next thing we know is that around 3.15 p.m., Libby's father was the one that was actually going to pick up the girls um, on his way home from work. So he recalls calling Libby and he said, he's like, I called her a few minutes before, you know, I wanted to arrive just to let her know I was going to be there because obviously if they're out on the trail, then they need to start heading in so they could meet her dad. But he says that she didn't answer. So by 3.30 PM, he called Libby again because he was actually already parked in front. So he had parked where Kelsey had dropped them off. And again, she didn't answer. So I'm sure he called her a few more times. And when she didn't answer, he was like, okay, well, got to get out and start looking for these girls. They know I'm supposed to be here. Where the heck are they? So that's when he got out of his truck and he said that he started to walk the path. And sometime around 4 p.m., I think that's when Libby's father, you know, started to really worry. He, it's already now been a half an hour past. I'm sure he had been up and down the trail as far as he thought they would have gone uh, numerous times. So and when you're not seeing the kids, you're like, what the hell? You know, I'm sure he probably got the weird feeling that something was wrong. So he actually calls his mother, which is Libby's grandmother, and he told her, hey, you know, I still can't find these girls and they're not answering my phone calls. So I'm sure that everybody tried to call, you know, Libby was still no response. The next thing we know is that the grandparents and the mother of Abby, which her name is Anna Williams, were on the scene looking for the girls. And now, I mean, at this point, the sun began to set. It was getting later. So it is said around 5.30 p.m. is that's when, you know, the, the family of the girls decided to report the girls missing. They called the police and were like, you need to get out here. You need to help. So I also have to say kudos to law enforcement on this. You know, sometimes we hear about those tragic stories about kids going missing and stuff. And they're like, oh, well, you have to wait a certain amount of time to report somebody missing. But this time, no, that was not the case. You had frantic parents. These girls were just supposed to be, you know, they were supposed to be gone for a few hours and come back. So these law enforcements were, boom, right on the scene. And it was also said that, you know, um, search people started coming out as well. So plenty of volunteers, you know, right away just started to, um, you know, help look for these girls. But sadly, you guys, the night went on and on and nobody came up with anything. Nobody could find these girls. And the later it got, the more the temperature started to drop and it obviously, you know, you have to, you have to stop the search at some point. You have to call it and you have to be like, we have to resume. There's not going to be so much, there's not a lot you can do without the daylight. 
And I couldn't imagine having to make that call as a parent, just having to like kind of go back home or just, you know, you just probably think about the best case scenario at that point. You just got to be like, okay, hopefully the girls are safe. Maybe they got lost, you know, hopefully they're, you know, they have each other and they're just hunkered somewhere and they'll be okay. And we'll find them in the morning. And so that's exactly what the families of these two girls did. They went home and they decided to come back in the morning. The search did resume back at 9 a.m. that Tuesday morning. So that would have been February 14th. And from all the articles, everybody says pretty much the whole town of Delphi at this point knew what the hell was happening. And they knew that these two girls were missing and they wanted everyone's help. So the city actually gathered a whole bunch of search parties. There was a lot of people. And this included the family members of each of the girls and obviously many other wonderful citizens that came out that morning. So there's a couple of different versions of, you know, how people what ends up happening next in the story, but the one version that seemed to I don't know, I guess resonate with me the most would have been Kelsey's version. And this is Libby's older sister. Remember you guys, this is the girl that dropped off her sister and her sister's best friend. And she is now searching for her sister the next day. So Libby's older sister, Kelsey states that around, so when they got there for the search, they were all put into search parties and basically dispersed out. Some went downstream, some went upstream of the creek, and they all just searched around. But Kelsey said that around noon that day of the search, that she was on the other side, she was more downstream of the bridge, when she overheard that someone had called out that they had found the girls. And even worse, you guys. It's not good. Abby Williams and Libby German were found about a half a mile upstream of the bridge and they were near the water on like the creek, basically the creek bed and they were not alive. And this must have been just a huge devastating loss for everybody. And obviously, you guys, this case now goes from a missing persons case to a homicide case. So, like, again, a reminder, this is an active case. So law enforcement, if you know anything about true crime, you know that if there's an active case and they have somebody that they have not caught yet, they are not going to release us all the details. And this is exactly what they have done in this case. We have basically have bits and pieces of what law enforcement has. I think law enforcement has a shit ton of other shit um, that they're not releasing to us, obviously, that we have no idea, but they are going to make sure that there are no hiccups in this case. So I, it, as much as it's frustrating on our end and people who are trying to figure it out too, um, we have to respect their process and we have to respect that they are keeping their mouths shut with this because when they catch this killer or killers, we, cause we don't know, then they're going to nail 
these mother effers. Excuse my language. I normally I don't really don't censor myself. But anyways, so the thing about this is we don't know the manner of death, you guys. Okay. We don't know the cause, what happened to them, how their bodies were found, i.e. the positions the bodies were in. Were they closed? Were they not clothed? Were they sexually assaulted? Um, where their weapons involved, what the fuck happened? All we know right now is two young girls were murdered and there is like a killer slash killer now on the loose. So there's really, you know, it's frustrating, but there are also really awesome aspects of the evidence that law enforcement has released to us. So, you know, in, in just a reminder, they don't release this because when they do nail the person that's done this, you know, we really got to make sure that we get across all of our I's or cross all of our T's and dot all of our I's because sometimes people aren't going to confess to what's going on. And, you know, when you have, you've taken this long to find somebody, you really got to weed through a lot of like false confessions or people that try and be copycat killers. So again, this is good that we don't know a lot about the case, but at the same time, frustrating. So I do, um, the, the, like I said, there are major gaps and major holes in this story, but the details that we do know are phenomenal. And the reason why they're phenomenal is because they've actually released audio footage and video or like photos of stuff that they've recovered from Libby's phone. And you guys, this is huge. This is huge. This is a 14-year-old girl that recorded what the fuck happened. Now, it's, it's mind-boggling because we don't know how much she recorded about what happened, but we do know that she fucking recorded. We know that she knew that something, something was bad. She knew that this was not okay, and she was smart enough to actually turn on that recording device. So it's even more frustrating that, you know, this case is still unsolved when they do have stuff like that, because I know that that, that doesn't happen often. So she just, I just, just can't even imagine the bravery that came from that young little girl and just being so scared, but yet being so brave to risk her life in doing that. So the first thing that law enforcement has released to us is this basically photo of a man walking on the bridge, kind of the same direction that Abby was coming from, but Abby's on the other side of the bridge in the photo. He's on the opposite side. So I'd say Abby's on the right side and this guy was photographed on the left. And it's a photo that clearly Libby took and she had it on her phone of him, this single guy walking alone and he's wearing blue jeans, He's wearing a blue like jacket that zips up. He has his hands in his pockets. Uh, looks like he's got like brown or black shoes. Can't really tell what type of shoes they are. Um, it looks like he's also wearing like a brown shirt underneath it. And the brown shirt is untucked because you can see it coming from underneath the jacket, the blue jacket that he's wearing. And it's a thicker blue jacket. So it's obviously cold. He's wearing like what looks like a, 
a beanie, but it's not. It's those those caps, you know, it looks like a, a hat and it's got like the flaps that come down over the sides that cover your ears. So I think that's what it is. And it's brown. And then his hands are in his pockets. From far away, it looks like he has a mustache. Um, he's definitely looking down towards the ground and he's walking on the bridge. So that's the first photo that they release. And law enforcement have made it very clear that they do think that the man in this photo is related to this crime or to this, this piece of puzzle in some way. So I just described the photo for you and I'll make sure that you guys see this photo on my Instagram. It'll be there. And then the other major piece of evidence that we have is an audio recording. This audio recording is only a few seconds and, and I don't know why law enforcement in particular chose to give us only this piece of audio. And when they first released it, it was the audio said down the hill. And now the full length audio says guys down the hill. And I didn't know on my podcast here if I could share that actual clip. So um, I encourage all of you to go listen to the clip and see if you recognize the voice, um, especially if you live in the Midwest area, you live in Indiana and you're hearing this, um, listen to the clip and just see if it's a voice that you are on, that you are familiar with. Um, but we don't know the reason in particular as to why law enforcement, but it's definitely the killer law enforcement says directing the girls down the hill is what we believe is really the only thing that we know. Okay, so really those two pieces of evidence is really the biggest key to this whole case right now, um, since we really don't know anything else. They did come out with a composite sketch, uh, and this guy James Chadwell's name has come up a few times when I Googled, and I believe this guy is suspected of, he's from Indiana, and he's suspected of rape of a 10-year-old girl. So I think um, based on like the old, the comp composite sketch or something that maybe they might've thought that he was involved in this case. Um, but the other piece of evidence that's just come out recently. Oh, and also I have to touch on the, the Delphi police department because the, um, one of the head guys, and I should know his name. I'm sorry, I'm not re re reporting this um, as accurate as I normally do. But he, you know, just because I kind of want all of you to go Google this, I want all of you to kind of, you know, just go look into this case, but you got to listen to what the law enforcement officer uh, released. He released a statement, uh, I believe now it's like two years ago. Um, but man, he came he came down with the hammer and it was, I just, you know, it was really like, it was really intimidating and very cool to watch law enforcement kind of do that. You know, basically, basically he told, you know, the killer, like we, we've either already most likely have already interviewed you or somebody close to you. We think you're living in plain sight, you know, so they're kind of, I think, trying to, you know, just let this guy know, you know, guy or who knows the killer know that, um, 
you know, we're onto you or we're, you know, we're crossing all our T's and dotting all our I's, motherfucker, because we're going to come find you. And I really, really, really hope they do. Uh, I know one of the last things that they released um, about this was the Snapchat profile. Now, this Snapchat profile, his name was, they went under the alias of Anthony Schatz. So it was Anthony underscore Schatz, and that's A-N-T-H-O-N-Y underscore S-H-O-T-S. And it looks like they're stating that this Snapchat and Instagram was actually used to contact, you know, underage girls to solicit nude photos. Um, And they would kind of use like a sexy male model photo to, you know, basically trick these girls into thinking that they were talking to somebody that they're not. And everybody who is on the internet, y'all should know that catfishing does exist you know, like you, there's, I'm sure there's plenty of people on my Instagram or, um, Facebook that maybe aren't really who they say they are behind the profile. And it's kind of easy sometimes to pick out those profiles. And then other times people get really invested in the shit and it's super freaking hard. And just imagine it being for these young girls. They have no idea how to navigate this shit you know, or just at least navigate somebody hitting on them or saying nice things, you know, I mean, I, we don't know. And, you know, we have to know that, you know, Libby, he was on Snapchat. We saw her on this. It was an active thing. So I wonder who she was talking to, you know, did they talk to this person before they even got to the bone high bridge, you know, was, is this something that's been talking to them? And then, and they just said, you know, also too, I think your location's on in Snapchat. If it's a feature too that I don't know if it automatically goes on or you have to turn on the feature, but that's also another huge factor. What if the person on Snapchat was following them and knew like where they were going or could determine it? But, and it, you have to think about it too. It's got to be somebody that knew the Delphi area as well, because how would they know about the bridge? How would they know where to like take these girls or, you know, it, it clearly shows like where they were, they were found. They were found a half a mile upstream from the actual bridge, a half a mile, a, a half a mile. It just, it mind blows me that, you know, they were, they must've been, I know the parents and everybody must've been screaming and shouting for these girls. Like where the fuck were they the whole time? You know, were they already dead a half a mile upstream and nobody, nobody happened to see or catch it. I mean, who knows it could have been, or maybe they just didn't go that far or I don't know, you know, but it sounds to me definitely that it's somebody that knew the area. They knew how to navigate and what was going on. I mean, you can't just kill two girls in the middle of the fucking woods and nobody hear it. Nobody, you know, (laughs) but again, I've never been to the Monon High Bridge or Deer Creek over there. I don't know how quiet. I don't know if I were to go to that very same spot or go out there and scream at the top of my lungs if anybody would hear me. And then the crazy thing is, is about the phone too, you know, like just, I wonder what's on there. There's just got to be so much evidence of what they have. And Libby is so brave for doing what she did.
you know, and they haven't released a lot. So we don't know if they fought or what the girls did, but those two girls, I just, oh my gosh, I really, really, really hope that we find their killers. They deserve, or killer, they deserve this. They deserve justice and for law enforcement to figure this out. And this guy or girl or killers or whatever deserves to rot in jail for the rest of their lives. A huge shout out to obviously the families of Abby and Libby. No, I don't know you. Thank you for letting me cover your case. I know it is public knowledge, um, but I, you know, and if you haven't heard about this case, please tell your coworkers or your friends or refer them to this episode because, you know, the more everybody knows about what's going on, possibly the more help that law enforcement can get for this. So if you do know anything about this case and have a tip, I do have an FBI tip hotline for you at 844-459-5786. You can also tip by email with this case, um, Abby and Libby tip at C-A-C-O-S-H-R-F.com. And then of course, you know, Delphi, Indiana, Delphi homicide investigation, um, I think there's another tip line number we have here at 765-822-3535. So you obviously can always tip anonymously, but if you have any, any evidence about this case, please don't hesitate to call in. Until next time, see you next week on Tuesdays with Trisha. Don't forget to check me out on Instagram at Tuesdays with Trisha. And remember, if you are an Apple podcaster and you have a few moments to give me that five-star review, I would love it. Till next time. Everyone's favorite host and party gal, Trish.